Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man you gave a cookie, so he got you a cookie. Here is the captain. You gave me a cookie, I got you a cookie. You gave me a cookie, I got you a cookie. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today, we are still sipping on Green Slush, made by Wiley Roots Brewing Company. Tall cans in the air. Green Slush has an ABV of 4.6%, and it's a sour ale with watermelon drink mix. Don't ask what that means. Just enjoy. Garage grade four out of five bottle caps. And who is raising those tall cans in the air with me? Well, it's some of our good friends right here. First up, and Captain, you will like this one. We have a cheers to Jolene from Peyton Manning's favorite city, Omaha, Nebraska. And a big shout to Laura from Salem, Oregon. Next up, we have a double cheers to Scott and Lacey drinking it up in Madison, Indiana. And a big shout out to Christina in Utica, New York. Next, we have a big cheers and a Ron Swanson please and thank you that goes out to Diane in San Francisco. And last but certainly not least, we have Brandy from a dry county in Arkansas. Everyone we just mentioned, they helped us out with this week's beer fund, and we thank you. Yeah, B-W-E-R-U-N, beer run. Get you some. Get you some more True Crime Garage by going to our website, truecrimegarage.com, and signing up for our bonus show called Off the Record, If You're Nasty. And that is enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. 1999, Wednesday, it's 13.09 hours. My name is Detective Bud Sampson. We're in the Ravenna Police Department interview room. Along with me is Detective William Mucklow and Detective John Leach of the Alliance Police Department. Also in the room is Joseph Isaac Wilk. Where was her body found? The living room. So when you walk up the stairs from the entry room, she's right there at the top of the stairs. So if everything is as it should be, we have a baby up the next floor up in her room. We have two of the children locked in their rooms for the night. And then we have Vinny, who may have been in a crib or in a sleeping situation or may have been roaming the house. 
when whoever came and we don't have any sign of forced entry. So either this person had access to the home or the door was unlocked or Yvonne knew the individual and invited them in. The way that things were found inside the residence almost would give the appearance that someone was there with her and things were going smoothly up until the point of, of her murder. Yeah. There's the, the yeah. is it the dining room table or one of the tables almost has the appearance that yeah. two people may have been sitting there discussing something or sharing cigarettes. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have, we have the, this is a, a, a very interesting angle of this case too, is that the killer either knew or felt comfortable enough that either a, none of the children would be able to identify them or B, none of the children saw what they did mm-hmm. and left all the children unharmed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, not only were they unharmed, but the the other thinking is that Vinny always slept in his diaper. And Vinny was fully dressed when he was found. He was not covered in blood, you know, assuming if he was crawling around and found his mom, he'd be covered in blood. He was fully dressed which he cannot do himself. Again, he has a severe disability. He could not dress himself. So the thinking has always been that somebody took care of and dressed Vinny. So not only did they not harm the children, but took care of one of the children. Which is, yes, a possibility, one, and but two could just be happenstance that for whatever reason he was dressed, still dressed from, from the night. He before. could have been and just never made it to her body to get, you know, blood. I mean, but that's the thing too. Like there was, you know, I stress a lot in the season, the crime scene and how, how brutal it is. And that is a hundred percent, not for any kind of shock value. It is because the crime scene is so important to who did this. I mean, when you look at it, it is so gruesome and bloody and there is overkill i mean the tv was thrown on top of her um a dresser and a tv were thrown on top of her after this person decapitated her anyone who's looked at it has said well this wasn't a hit this looks personal this is so overkill and violent yeah so that's why you know i talk a lot about the crime scene because it looks so personal so it's and then when you think about that if you think okay this is someone who knew her they were angry at her Maybe it was a father of one of the kids. Maybe this person did know Vinny really well. So a lot of her immediate family were looked into. And surprise, a lot of them had reason to kill her. Her dad was allegedly sexually abusing her and her sisters for years. And she thought that he was doing it to her kids, too. You know, her mother-in-law hated her because she was taking the welfare checks from Vinny and the mother-in-law was taking care of her. So when you look at this crime scene... It does not look like someone was hired to kill her. It looks like somebody who knew her did this and took care of Vinny on their way out. Well, they even suspected David's girlfriend for a while, right? Because yes, because you have this situation where you're dating this guy. Now he's having a baby with his ex. It's kind of an odd situation. Yes, and we get into Amy in, in the coming episodes. But, you know, Amy's interesting because her and Yvonne hated each other. Obviously, they're both, you know, in love with the same guy and there's kids involved. But, you know, the thing has always been is Amy would actually be the last person that was able to get into Yvonne's house. Because if Yvonne even saw Amy at her doorstep, everyone who knew Yvonne was like, oh, no, she would have beat the shit out of Amy immediately. She wasn't getting in the house. So it's just really interesting. Amy, of course, had a motive. But would she even be able to get in the house? And then we go back to this whole, we find out she's a sex worker. That could be why there's a lock on the door to lock the kids in so they don't walk out on something. Right. Um, So did she have one of her Johns over that night? There's just so many people. And it's, yes, Joe sounds convincing. And yes, this could be what happened. But then when I look at the crime scene... I just, again, go, no, no way this was Joe. This was someone she was sleeping with or somebody that she already has a baby with. It wasn't Joe hired as a hit. It's it's very confusing. Well, there have been people that have said that the way that they found the crime scene, as you said, the TV thrown on top of her, there what there was a bookshelf overturned as well. There was a TV on top of a dresser. So the dresser and the TV were on top of her. Okay, so somebody attempted to, to probably 
in one foul swoop, I imagine, try to throw both of those items, tip them over on top of her at the same time. And some have speculated, look, that might be somebody who's trying to make it, the crime scene have the appearance of a struggle. To me, I look at that and say, no, this is somebody that wanted to destroy this woman, that slitting her throat was not good enough. Watching her expire in just a matter of seconds on the floor there was not good enough. They had to take it a step Mm -hmm. further and throw these heavy items onto her body as it lie there lifeless already. And, you know, we, we have a certain, a certain understanding of, and rightfully so descriptive way of hate crime. But one thing that gets lost sometimes in these murder cases is the individual that kills the victim nine times out of 10 hates the victim, Mm -hmm. hates the victim to the point of destruction Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, something happened. They feel wronged. They feel challenged or, or or any number of scenarios can play out. But in that moment, in the heat of the moment, that individual hates the victim so much so that they want to kill them. They want to destroy them. And that's what I see when we're talking about this crime scene here, that it was, Somebody was in such rage that they they took this extra step. It was unnecessary to kill her, you know, because she's already dead. It was unnecessary to do any of these these further actions before leaving the home. Let's stay on eyewitnesses because there was wasn't there another possible eyewitness? We talked about the children. We we talked about the other eyewitness, but there was another eyewitness that, that saw a man and it, it, the description sounds somewhat similar to, to the, to the other one. I'm just a little confused on, on what time and, and where this falls into the, the timeline of the 31st and the first. Yeah. So this, this guy, very similar. He was another neighborhood guy who again, just went to the police and said, Hey, look, I think I saw this it might be helpful. It was actually the night of the murder. He said around twilight, he was walking his dog. So who the hell knows what twilight means? He saw a man trying to get into the house. And that's really all we know. We know that the police also took him to a kind of relaxation therapy that they also took George to, to try and get him to remember what they saw. George said it seemed more like an interrogation. He kind of seemed like he was hooked up to a lie detector test. So they did the same thing with this witness and nothing came of it. Um, again, this was not given to the defense in, in discovery. So this is another Brady violation. What we do know about that night is she did have quite a few visitors. I mean, her house was not this home that no one went to, this quiet mom with you know kids. It was really a high-trafficked home. You know, her dad was there that day. We don't know where he was that evening. Uh, we do know he, he puts himself there that day. We know that around 5.30, her neighbor was there. He was someone who was seen with her. He said he went on a bike ride afterwards. Um, You can't really account for that. So that's already two people we know were at her house that day that, you know, we don't know where they went afterwards at the time of the murder. According to Joe, he was there that evening. So was this guy one of them? Was it a different guy that the neighbor saw trying to get into the home around twilight? It just raises so many questions yeah but the eyewitnesses that are not connected to the family they're just neighbors or passerbyers they're all putting these individuals well below six foot yeah so the yes so both um george hale and this other man two separate witnesses two neighbors don't know anybody involved in this case say that the, the guy trying to get into the home or the guy leaving the home was about five eight dark hair yeah i mean that wouldn't be joe either way assuming that, you know, that what they saw actually happened. So George Hale was on the stand for the post-conviction hearing when they went back to court for the Brady violation for George Hale. And on his cross is when he kind of came across as a weak witness. I I personally don't think George Hale is, but cross-examination can always shake people. And basically on the cross, the prosecution got him to say he just didn't know if the man was leaving her house or if he was just he he couldn't for sure say if he was leaving the house or not i believe george i've i've seen his interviews with you know reputable investigative reporters who have looked into this case 
I, his story has always been the same. And I, I do think he saw somebody leaving the house that morning, um, whether it was the murderer, whether it was someone who had some kind of appointment with her that morning and stumbled in and found her dead body and was like, oh, crap. Um, but I do believe George saw somebody leaving that house after she was dead. And Twilight typically is, I, I think everybody has a little bit of a different definition for what ta- Twilight is. It's one of those things that you hate to hear a witness say because it, it could mean different things to different people. But I always think of it as like the time of when I can no longer see the sun in the sky, but there's still it's still light out. So around sunset or or slightly just after which is interesting because that plays to the the 7 p.m i always thought it was a teenage vampire movie the time frame at the at the earlier part of that time frame but team edward how else are they coming up with that 7 p.m is it is it because there is somebody that says they spoke to yvonne what at five or six o'clock that night so that was the neighbor that was seen with her at 5 30 yeah okay yeah, and then but he's a bit. Wasn't he a bit of a creep himself? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, he's definitely <laughs> a, an odd guy. We talked to him in the podcast, but you know, we don't really. We don't. We do not think he was involved. Um, again, this looks okay. like overkill. I mean, he's a tiny little guy. He's weird. I just don't see. We just didn't get that from him. What is his motive? What would he be so pissed off about? Yes, maybe he was a peeper, but other than that, I mean, the guy has no record. He just seems like he still lives in the same house. I mean, if you murdered this girl, you would think he'd probably leave. I mean, there, there was just many reasons to make us think like, you know, he probably wasn't involved. And I'm with you. I don't think he lines up. And I find it interesting that he speaks with you guys all these years later. It doesn't seem like he's dodging anything here, hasn't moved away. But I will throw this out there when we go into motive and things of that nature is I have seen in more than one case where we have an individual that is very much like this, that did commit the Mm -hmm. crime. And what, where I'm going with this Maggie is that this guy would see men in and out of Yvonne's home all hours of the day. And then he's over there, gets inside. She's invited him in. She rejects him. And then his mind goes to, she doesn't say no to anybody else. Why is she saying no to right. me? What is wrong with, what is wrong with me? And then it, then he turns on her. So I've seen that in some cases, I'm not saying that's the situation here. We know that Yvonne could be described as promiscuous. I'm not saying that there were men coming in and out of her house at all hours of the day. Although it seems like that may have been the situation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we think about that, too, with Joe. Maybe that Joe did do this, and he also got pissed that she rejected him, and he just kind of lost it. The interesting thing, and I'm curious to hear what you guys think, is, you know, I guess we could put Jim aside, the neighbor, but I want to talk about Joe, because I don't know as much about Jim. I just know he doesn't have a record. I mean, everything we know about Joe is he is this kind person. Yes, he's troubled, but it never seemed to manifest in a violent, deviant way. Um, Joe's friend said he didn't even really do drugs. I mean, he smoked weed and drank. Um, So, you know, he's this kind, nice kid. Would he suddenly just snap and become this rageful killer when he had nothing like that in his past? I'm just curious to hear your thoughts. Well, he has a lot of trauma in his past. So to me, that would give him the capability the thing I can't get over with with Joe is um, a couple things. One, the confession before he talks to police. Because mm-hmm. he was basically telling people, I did this before he even talked with police. Yeah, um, allegedly. Yeah. Did I put that? I put that in the podcast. I couldn't remember. Well, and maybe that's something that we need to, to address here if if you're able to is what would be the motivation of this Miss Moore and uh, Mr. Campbell for their statements that we spoke with Joe Wilkes on the day of the murder? And he, and he says, I'm, I'm here to, you know, I've been hired to kill someone for, for whoever, but what would be their motivation for their statement? Because the captain's absolutely right. That's, that's how they find Joe Wilkes. And that's something that if, 
if he did tell them that, it's very difficult for anybody to go. He told somebody that, and then that night someone he knew was murdered. Yep. Um, I'm sorry, but it, it gets very difficult to to get past that one. It is. Not yeah. so much for David. Not so much for David Thorne, because again, there are a million different scenarios that we could have Joe Wilkes as the actual murderer here and David Thorne didn't have anything to do with it. And he just had the the worst luck in the world that he interacted with this guy and was friends with this guy before and after. Absolutely. I mean, we, we think about this all the time. So Rose and Chris are interesting. So I, I mentioned, you know, we rack our brains every day trying to think about what would their motive be. We don't know. One of our hypotheses is, you know, Chris did get a, a lot of trouble with the law. He was actually arrested like a day or two after he told police about this. You know, we've we've speculated he could have been an informant. They just needed to lean on him for this. And Rose was his girlfriend and he just told her to shut up and just stick to the story and whatever. You know, it could have been any sort of combination of that. I I don't know what their motive would have been. I don't know if they lied. What I do know is that their stories are odd. They're, they change a lot between, no, it was definitely not a pocket knife, and then by trial it was a pocket knife. I find that something really difficult to get around. How do you mistake an eight-inch blade and then suddenly a po- it's a pocket knife? You know, She specifically mentioned a sheath. I think that's weird. His clothing changed colors. They say he was in a white Nike tracksuit at the mall. Um, the pants that he found were black. That doesn't bother me as much. You know, people can mistake colors. All of our memories are not perfect. But, you know, there are just weird things about them. In Joe's confession, he never mentioned seeing them. He says, I was at the mall and blah, blah, blah. They specifically asked, did you tell anybody about this? So it's weird. It's it's just weird. It's one of those mysteries that I don't know if we'll ever have answers to what happened at that at the mall and if they lied or why they lied if they did well when they they come forward it's three months later so it's it's easy to go okay maybe they didn't remember what color Mm -hmm. pants the guy was wearing it's it is weird that that joe isn't a little more upfront about having talked to somebody that night when he seems to be giving Mm -hmm. the police everything else that they're asking for during the course of that confession the one thing though that i find Interesting is, do you see, is there a road that investigators could take that somehow leads them to Joe Wilkes through David Thorne? And then now three months later, we have to, we can't say, oh, we, we, we found Joe Wilkes by this Avenue. We need to create an Avenue that led us to Joe Wilkes because what the jury is going to see in this case, if David would have had a good defense team, it would have, it should have been pointed out that look for three months, these guys had nothing Mm -hmm. and they tried to build a case against David Thorne and they couldn't. So you as jurors have to ask yourself why, if David is so damn guilty here, why did they have nothing for three months? And so now we have this, I mean, and here's where I'm going with this, Maggie. I wonder Phone records. Mm -hmm. Joe Wilkes, does he use his name when he checks into the hotel that night? You know, there are ways that could lead you to Joe Wilkes as an investigator that that later you can go back and say, you know what, Chris Campbell, you're not such a good guy. Why don't you help us out? And we'll help you out a little bit at the same time, because we need somebody to tell us about this Joseph Wilkes guy. Exactly. Oh, and that that girlfriend of yours that uh, can you think you can get her to go along with uh, your statement? Mm -hmm. Well, that's the thing too. They knew that they were at the mall that night. And, and it's just so interesting because Joe has never denied seeing them, but he has said it was just a casual conversation. You know, it wasn't something that stuck out to him when he's being interrogated by the police and telling them every accounting of his day. So it's just, I, and I'm with you on that. Maybe that's exactly what it was. That's why, you know, we have really been looking into was Chris an informant of some kind? Did he have relations with the police? Could they have leaned on him? It's all possible. There's so many possibilities in this case. Yeah. The the other thing that bothers me is the child when he says that he saw Jeremy or, 
or what was the other name? Jimmy. Or Jimmy. Jimmy. He, it's, it's the, it sounded like he gave two or three. Yeah, there was names, another name. Started... Yeah, they were all J names. Right, which goes along. But with... it wasn't Joe. Yeah, but it goes along with Joseph, where maybe yes. he just can't remember. I know it started with a J, so it's Jeremy or if it, you know or whatever it is. So I think that has always bothered me. And that's very interesting, Captain, because we know by Joe's own statements that he had seen, he had been to Yvonne's at least once, maybe twice. Is that right, Maggie? Mm-hmm. No more than maybe two times? According to uh, him, Three times yeah. if we include the murder? Yeah, it's one of those kind of murky, murky areas. So Captain might be hitting on something here. Your mom. Th- this child may be trying his best to help, but because he's only met this guy once or twice, or, or you know, maybe he's having trouble placing the name. And and he's getting close with the J names, and uh, that's a very interesting thing. I absolutely agree with you guys. I don't think we can really, you know, just brush aside what Vinny said. And I think, you know, every one of these things on its face is not, you know, major. But when you put them all right. together, it's it's really um, confusing. I'd say. Well, I have a <laughs> question. Confusing. I have a question for you. Joe has recanted his confession before. Mm-hmm. Is that is that when he's recanting the confession? Is he saying I I wasn't there? I didn't murder anybody. No, he's always put him there himself there. He says he didn't do it. He says he he walked in and she was already dead and he panicked and left. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. 
That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. So if he wasn't there with the purpose of being paid to commit a homicide, why in those statements is he there he, at all? One statement, he went to invite her to a, a hotel party. In one statement... That's why he's at the hotel? Yes. In another statement, he's there to have sex with her. Again, she could have rejected him, and he flies into a rage, does something that he almost immediately regrets, and now, lucky him. See, that's one thing, the other issue that I have with getting away from the possibility of Joe Wilkes as the actual murderer, because... You know, you said, well, he didn't have much of a record or didn't have a record and and he didn't do drugs yet by his own admission in in that confession, regardless of how they got to that statement, it is still his sworn statement at the time. He says, I did I did some drugs that night uh, before going over there to kill her. And then later, his own words again, to save my own ass, I said, you know, I had to tell them that David thorn hired me and so it's like is this guy smart enough and you said he's no dummy is he smart enough to be creating ways to save his own butt i think so i was i was so high on these drugs when i killed her i didn't know what i was doing i was out of my mind man oh and uh if that doesn't work and i need somebody else to to save my butt i can blame some of this on david thorn and maybe i called him the next day for for no reason other than because we were friends and and I know that maybe they might be able to or find. Maybe he called some, David to confess. Called him to confess. There's any number of things, and, and we we see if, in fact, all the things that everybody says about David Thorne and Joe Wilkes' relationship is true, other than this murder part. Given Joe's background and how he was raised and the horrible environments that he was raised in, and then David being a little older, it looks like Dave, David kind of takes him under his his wing. He you know, we know David's a car guy. He gives him some kind of junk car that, that somebody like David could fix up and that he would he would actually have a vehicle so he could get to and from a job. And David says, you know, like, look, I'm not doing I didn't do favors for this kid because because I hired him to kill my ex-girlfriend. I did favors for the kid because one, I wanted to help him out, but two, I would help him out and it would create inconveniences for me. Now 
Now this guy's always reaching out to me. Can you drive me here? Can you drive me to my, I'm going to lose my job if somebody doesn't take me there. And, you know, I can get this kid a, a vehicle for a few hundred bucks and it helps him out, but ultimately helps me out as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, there, there's so many possibilities and we haven't even gone into, you know, the fact that the cops, the cops didn't at, at the beginning think David actually had anything to do with this by their own admission. They mm-hmm. went to the psychic. I mean, and the, that is yeah. the biggest bombshell of this whole case is what the police say to the psychic. Well, let's let's circle back to that, Maggie, before we get too far away from something else that I'm very intrigued on. I I, I always love when we cover cases. I, I want to hear the suspects. I want a, a roll call of the suspects. And let's start with the J suspects, because we were talking about Vinny trying to help out, saying I saw a Jimmy or a Jeremy or somebody with that sounding name hurt my mom, push my mom. Interestingly enough, there is a Jeremy in this case, and there's a Jimmy in this case. Who is the Jeremy, and how is he tied to our victim? Yeah, so Jeremy is a family friend. It's um, Eric, who's Yvonne's boyfriend, baby daddy. It's his mother's boyfriend. Okay. So Jeremy, you know, knew Vinny very well, actually, because Vinny was living with him and Linda. Vinny was not in Yvonne's custody. She pretty much gave Vinny up at birth because he was disabled. She couldn't really take care of him. And she gave him to her her boyfriend's parents to take care of. So Vinny was raised by Jeremy and Linda for the most part. So he would know Jeremy if he saw Jeremy. And one of the names and was Jeremy. If the if there was a motive for Jeremy to be involved or have done this, it would be simply all tied to the boy Vinny. They're practically raising Vinny the majority of the time. Not practically, they are raising him the majority of the time. They're his main caregivers, as it sounds to me. Yet Yvonne is getting the disability checks from the state, and she's using them to fund her lifestyle or raise her other children Mm -hmm. exactly well again i think the whole idea if you know if she's having if she is a sex worker and and having guys coming in and out of her house that creates a motive for almost any male that's in her life Mm -hmm. like you said they come on to her or they think well she's uh saying yes to all these guys she'll say yes to me and if she doesn't there's a lot of guys that would go into a rage and then the there's also a Jim or a Jimmy in this. Right. And that's the neighbor that yeah. we talked about. Jim neighbor. is the neighbor who also knew the kids. I don't know how well they knew him. I mean, according to Jim, you know, him and Yvonne would just hang out outside in the yard sometimes. And the kids would run around his yard because their yards connected. There was no fence between them. So it seems like he knew the kids, but certainly not on the level that Jeremy did. And if he were, in fact the guilty party, it would fall into what the captain was just talking yeah. about there, where this would be, he had some kind of infatuation or obsession with, with this. I mean, she was a very beautiful young woman. And again, if you have a scenario where he thought they were friendly and all of a sudden she rejects him or calls him a name or finds him inadequate or anything you have those possibilities. One person that I want to hit on before we get into the amazing, wonderful Alliance Police Department (laughs) and how fine and fantastic of a job they just continue to do. I want to talk about somebody that if, in fact, the things that I've heard about this individual on your podcast make him probably the most disgusting and despicable individual that's referenced so far. I I understand you have some episodes to get to, but Sherman. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about Sherman because I have, if if I'm looking at this case from a clean slate, that's the guy that I want to talk to the most. And the people around him are the ones that I want to ask about Sherman the most. Off the bat, I've called him. The number that I have for him isn't working. I've reached out to the kids to ask them, you know, for a number. I have tried to reach him and I can't. So um, Sherman you know, again, they're Jehovah's and um, they live a very quiet life. But we have heard from her friends a lot of horror stories about the abuse that he put her. And, you know, very recently we heard from another close friend 
and her sisters, we believe, were were also maybe abused by him sexually. And we do know that Yvonne thought that it was possible he was doing this to her kids. And she actually set up a video camera in her house with tapes. Eric's actual dad, not Jeremy, Eric's dad, Fred, helped her set up videotapes to try and catch Sherman in the act. Um, this was Fred's one of Fred's statements before he passed away. So we have not been able to like a nanny cam. Type yeah. Situation. But of course it was, you know, 1999. So it's like a giant camera that you could see in some of the crime scene photos on top of her fridge. And those tapes were collected and, and Fred had asked for the tapes back and he never got them. So we don't know what's on those tapes. They don't seem to exist anymore, but um, yeah, you know, Sherman to me too, like, you know, what if Yvonne was pregnant with his kid? What if one of these kids is Sherman's kid? That, that has certainly crossed our minds. That could be um, the reason he, why the one kid has certain disabilities. And I mean, anything is possible. Um, you know, the more we've talked to people who knew her, the more it seems like the abuse was pretty severe. It seems like, you know, even their mother probably knew in a lot of these cases, they know and there's nothing they can do or, you know, they're also abused. You know, again, these are all allegations. I'm not saying Sherman did this. This is just what we have heard right. from multiple people. Um, and I, we've thought about him as a suspect. And the thing that we just keep coming back to is I don't think that he would have wanted this attention. They really seem to recoil from it and not necessarily in a way of like, we did this. It seems like they really just do not want this attention at all. They have never spoken to media. They've never been a part of it. They, you know, kind of wrapped it up and it was quiet. And again, that could be because he knows some dirty things are going to lead back to him or again, because they're quiet people and he just wouldn't murder his daughter because he doesn't want all this attention is something we've really thought about. I don't care who you are. Nobody wants to be known as in, you know, an incest driven sexual predator. And um, so one thing that we see here in this case is the potential of a possible cover up. And the reason why I bring him up and, you know, there's another cover up possibility that we're going to quickly get into and move along to here. But with Sherman in relation to him, if there were to be another type of cover up, if she was killed, you know, that's one of the leading motivations for murder in anywhere is to cover up previous crimes. And if in fact Sherman is guilty of the rumors that you have heard, then it seems to me like that would be something that he may want to cover up. Maybe he went there that night to try to reason with her or threaten her mm -hmm. to keep her quiet or to collect those tapes. Maybe she threatened him. That's one thing that I think we haven't really touched on much is Yvonne's personality. Mm -hmm. She didn't seem to me to be much of a, uh, take a lot of shit kind of person. No, she you know, actually, if, if she was not, um, she was feisty would be a very polite and kind way of, of describing her. Yeah. So, so we have found out, you know, through our reporting that Yvonne, was a scammer in a sense she would shake people down so the idea that you know she was threatening her dad to expose him is very plausible uh, maybe she did catch something on that camera and he went over again he puts himself there that day i have no idea where he was that night of course we don't have any recorded interviews with him from the police mm -hmm. um so that's really helpful when trying to go back to this investigation there's not a single interview with him so we don't really know where he was that night, what he was doing at all. And one thing that doesn't sit well with me about Sherman, and it's coming from law enforcement's own mouth, when they went to talk with her mother, they say, even now, she's a shell of an individual. And mm -hmm. so if you happen to hear you know, your husband say, well, that's it, she's dead to me, and then you end up finding her dead the next day there's going to be doubt in your mind. So, you know, it's one thing to find your, your dead child, but then if you know on top of that, that your husband's responsible for it, that mm -hmm. puts you in a very scary situation. Yeah. I think Tanya was in a scary situation before the murder too. I think that was just a dark household. 
you know, the abuse that she endured, if it is true, would certainly explain why, you know, she was allegedly so promiscuous and having children at 16, a lot of it, you know, makes, makes sense. Um, she was sexually traumatized and, you know, that that's, that's often what happens, but yeah. So, you know, there's, and I know this is what you want to talk about. You know, there's no interview with Sherman because the police did a, really not good job with this investigation so yeah we could talk about that well yeah and real quick before we move on in regards to the tapes if they existed or or what was on them we don't know as you said they we can't find them uh today and one thing with those those tapes and yvonne's personality and attitude and being a possible victim to Sherman or maybe her, her kids are victimized by this guy. There doesn't necessarily have to be anything incriminating on those tapes for him to want those tapes to go away bad enough to potentially do something like this. Mm -hmm. It could just simply be the threat of those tapes of her saying, you know, I got a video camera running in here all the time. You know, I've been taping you while you're over here. That doesn't necessarily have to mean that, that she caught anything on camera, just that it was happening and he perceived the threat of being outed because of that camera. Now, just so we don't dance around the subject anymore, why don't we talk about the Alliance PD as it were 1999. And I understand that they've made a lot of effort to clean things up there since then, but it was not the most well-run oiled machine back then as we would want it to be as citizens and taxpayers. And a lot of that comes out in those tapes when we have detectives talking with the psychic and thank you, Maggie, for including that in the series, because that psychic woman just amazing. She, she, she's looking at these detectives and going, why haven't you guys looked into this? Why is Yvonne hanging out with so many cops? Why is she, friends with so many cops why are there so many married officers married with children officers that seem to be friendly with her some have some kind of relationship with her yeah these cops mucklow and samson never thought that these tapes would see or hear the light of day ever 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 this was one of the brady violations at trial this was never presented it was hidden they got it in the post-conviction and the the tapes actually I got the attorneys never had the tapes that I know of they have the transcripts so this is the first time anyone's hearing the tapes and it's just it's like you said the psychic I mean it's just jaw dropping at what they are telling the psychic about their own department and people that they had heard officers were sleeping with her you know for money um, and she asked if they ever looked into any of these people and they're like, no, did you look into, you know, the dad? No. Did you look into Jeremy? Well, I guess we should do that. They honed in on Z- David and it seems like they really, d- we don't have a formal interview with Jeremy. Don't have a formal interview with Jim. We don't have formal interviews with any of these officers that were allegedly sleeping with her. Half of these we don't even have interviews with. So if they spoke to them, where is that? Why would you not speak to her father that you tell this psychic was abusing her? Um, It's Mm -hmm. just mind blowing that the entire case file is David and then Joe. And, you know, so the department at the time, um, I do a whole episode on this because it's, you know, I could do five episodes on it. Um, In 1998, the Chief, Chief Black, and eight officers were fired for severe corruption, for stealing guns, mm-hmm. drugs, and money from the evidence room. And your guess is as good as mine is where the guns, drugs, and money were going when they were stealing it. So, you know, at the time of her murder, the department is in chaos. There are still folks that are, you know, seriously corrupt who just were not caught and fired. It was just, it was, it was incredible what was happening at the time in the department. And then this young mother is murdered and the investigation was so poor. It will just blow your mind. I mean, and to simplify, it almost seems like law enforcement went, okay, well, it's either Eric or it's David and Eric's in jail. 
So it has to be David. Oh, wait. Mm-hmm. David was at at this uh, wrestling class, and there's he has a, three counties, three counties away. away, and he has solid alibis, not just one person, multiple people. And then they just kind of stop. Stop the investigation for three well, months. That's, that's how the exactly. That's how the case files are. There's nothing from May. There's nothing from June. Whoop! All of a sudden, we have Joe Wilkes in in July. I mean, I just think it's really bizarre. What were you doing in that time? Well, and for those not familiar with the case, we should point out here that David Thorne is at this martial arts class. This was routine this was a once a week thing that had gone on for weeks prior to this this was not him going out of his way to be several counties away conveniently at the time of the murder these guys it doesn't seem like they were starting a murder investigation it seems to me like they were starting from scratch because they just didn't know what to do or how to conduct this type of investigation not with any kind of efficiency or thoroughness that's going to seal a conviction you hear the psychic when the detectives give her information she's looking at them and you you can almost you hear it in the tone of her voice when she's throwing questions back at them she's like you guys didn't look at that you guys didn't look at this you didn't you you can tell she wants to look at these two guys and go is this your first day on the job did you did you just get deputized this morning because uh all these things that are obvious to a psychic woman didn't appear to be obvious to these detectives or they turned their heads away from it and did not want to look in those directions. I think, I think that's, you know, we talk about this too, is if someone else killed her, the police certainly had motive to cover it up because of whatever was going on with them. They just wanted to brush it under the rug and none of you know, none of their sex with her or even maybe drug connections. I mean, the police tell the psychic they found weed at the crime scene, marijuana. There is no marijuana in evidence. Where is that marijuana that you allegedly found at this crime scene? So whatever happened in this murder, I think the police definitely wanted to brush it under the rug very quickly um, for their own sake. Well, that's a good point, too, because... One of the things I wondered is we have this girl dead. You know that there's officers that are having some kind of sexual relationship with her. At that point, you either have to turn this investigation over to somebody else Mm -hmm. or you have to figure out which officers are having a relationship, make sure they have nothing to do with the case. And then when you say, oh, well, they found weed and it goes missing. Well, probably because she got that weed from a police officer. Or there's some connection from that weed. Well, back again, to the- and that's, I mean, they were literally stealing guns, drugs, and money from the evidence room. And like I said, yeah. it's anyone's guess where that was going. There's missing marijuana from her house. I mean, you put the pieces together. It just is really shady. It sounds to me like there's a portion of their evidence room back in the 90s that was set items that are set aside for an officer's only barbecue (laughs) that was probably happening on the reg, you know, Oh, we got some weed and cocaine for free. Oh, (laughs) you like collecting guns. Here you go, buddy. You know, let's get together officers and wives only, and let's have a big blowout. Your wives. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless of where it came from or how she got it. But the the thing here too, and I hate the term police cover up because I think it's way overused and that takes away from the severity of the situation when you use a term way too much and use it when it's not necessary. In most cases, they go, oh, well, uh, this cop knew the victim. So clearly the, the whole department's covering it up. Nay, nine times out of 10, what I've seen in these investigations, they don't mind busting and popping one of their own. They want to get the guilty party here. This situation is unique because if what was going on, that's been speculated. If, if any of that is true, they're not covering for the guy that actually killed her because of to, to save his butt, they're covering for the whole departments. They were doing committing. (laughs) Yeah. They were committing, you know, breaking the law time and time again themselves. And so they're covering their own asses by covering for one of their own. 
if in fact what we've heard has been true. Yeah. No, exactly. I, and that's the thing. It's so messy. Could that guy ha- that have been seen that morning been a cop like George Hale said? Sure. And he was just, you know, cu- cleaning up some stuff because he was like, oh, fuck, if there is drugs and stuff in here, we got to get rid of it because it's coming back to us. You know, it's like all everything is possible. I think what I see here, look, there again, there's no smoking gun that tells me that David is 100 percent innocent. I strongly question the investigation. I even more so question Joseph Wilkes. I do see plenty of scenarios where Joe could be guilty and David just is collateral damage. I also see scenarios where we have other suspects that I have to believe I've not reviewed the trial transcripts. But one thing to point out here is that Joe had no trial. He confessed and then he testified against David Thorne and not over overly overwhelmingly convincing in his testimony against David Thorne either. I think you pointed out that he on your show that he says, I don't know, it is it seems to be the most common answer that he gives while on the stand. I don't know. I, I see a, I see a case where we have other possibilities. We have other good suspects. And I can't believe that the defense even made reference to these people. The whole thing here is I've always said that your homicide or the, the, the victim, if you're a family member of a victim, your case is only as good as the desk of the officer that it, your case file lands on. And that's the unfortunate truth of these scenarios. And obviously there are some better police forces than others. That will always be the truth. But one thing that gets lost in a lot of these true crime cases, especially the ones that are solved, is you know we've presented some cases here in the garage where you get these guys that just get bum freaking lawyers mm-hmm. that, that they they're happy to take your money, but they ain't they ain't going to do any work for it. Well, that's the thing. They paid a lot of money. This was a private attorney that they hired. David's family. They again, they were not broke. I mean, they used they had money to hire this private attorney. Well, and the defendant is usually blinded by the idea. Oh, this guy costs a lot of money. He must know what mm-hmm. he's doing. Well, I don't know if this guy knew what he was doing or not, but he didn't act that way or conduct himself that way. He called three witnesses. The guy's on could be facing the death penalty. Well, it reminds me a lot of the Ryan Ferguson trial because you have one guy confessing to the crime, the other guy saying, I wasn't one, I have an alibi, but two, I wasn't involved at all. And then you have a crappy lawyer that basically says, oh, well, prosecution didn't prove their point, so I'm not going to really defend it much. How many episodes have you released so far, and how many more do you have to go? So there's 14, and we have six more, and it is with some of the very exciting key people that can answer or just muddy more of this. But, you know, it's um, this is a crazy case, and I'm, I'm so thankful for you guys for putting it on your airwaves, especially from Ohio, because somebody knows something. We have a tip line number now um, that people can call. Um, if anyone in Ohio in the Alliance area knows anything, the number is 888-863-9550. So I really thank you guys for this. Thank you as always for coming on the show. We're looking forward to the final episodes of Murder in Alliance. Thank you guys so much for the support. Thanks for telling a friend so much more you can dive into in this case. And that's why this week's recommended listening will be Murder and Alliance wherever you get your podcast. And join us back here in the garage next week for a new case. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't listen.
sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.